I found this uh, website that I, I found very interesting, if I can get my iPad to work. It was, a, it was a year ago, about the same time, when we were planning to celebrate Easter, and the world took a, a left turn. You remember? Last March? And we didn't get to gather. We didn't get to... We, did some stuff online, but we weren't able to be together like this. And from, from that moment, the beginning of, of this pandemic, something is, has happened. We have become a society, we've really become a world culture that is immersed, is feeding on statistics, on numbers. So much of our life now is governed by numbers, statistics. If you watch the news at all, there's a, there's a ticker thing on the bottom that is giving numbers. It's, it's talking about cases. It's talking about those who've lost their life. It's talking about percentages. We're in different color tiers, and it's based upon so many per so many, and we're just constantly fed numbers. And I, I found myself on this website. It's called worldometers.info, if you are a geek like me, a nerd. And it, and it gives, a, a, as, as close as they can, a real-life set of numbers that measures what's happening on this planet. So right now, as I'm watching it change, there are 7,856,814,220,23,25,27,29,30 people on this planet. Today alone, this today, 179,845, 47, 51, 62 people have been born. The number continues. Today alone, 75,523, 25, 27 people have died, have lost their life. I look at these numbers and, and it's just, it's, it's, it's overwhelming to me. It's, it's very easy, I think, for us to, because of what's transpired over this last year and this diet that we're feeding on of numbers and statistics, and we look at numbers like that, and it's easy to get lost in that. Who am I? I'm just this guy. I'm just this one guy in, in Carmichael, California, amongst almost 8 billion people. And people are coming into this earth. They're being born and people are dying. Who am I? Today we, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think it, it's possible for some of us that are here to see the resurrection as a religious moment that we celebrate. If, if, we, if we believe in Jesus Christ and we love God, it's possible that we see it as this, this um, world-changing moment within God's eternal plans, His eternal purposes, to rescue His creation from death. And that's true. It's the most incredible moment in human existence, in human history, that, that God would come to earth and He would take on human form and He would live among us. And then He would allow Himself to be tried and convicted, wrongly convicted, and the way he was treated, flogged and, and abused and made fun of and mocked, and then he would allow himself to be nailed to that cross and be crucified by the Roman soldiers and to be taken down and his body placed in a grave, and then three days later, rise from the dead. Even just saying it that, like that, some of you are like, well, yeah, okay, I, I, I get that. That's a story. That's a moment. Others are hearing that and going, yes. I have, I have life 
eternal life because of what God's done, this eternal plan that he has to rescue us from sin. But if that's all it is, then I think we've missed the significance of the resurrection because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal. It's personal. It's, it's, an, it's an encounter with God and an individual. Jesus did not raise from the dead for the United States of America. He did not raise from the dead for Canada or Mexico or Tanzania or any other country or ethnic group. Jesus did not rise from the dead for Republicans or for Democrats or for progressives or independents. Jesus did not rise from the dead for Baptists or Presbyterians or Methodists or Independents. Or... Jesus did not raise from the dead for California. Now, some of you are already pushing back. You're hold on. Where's he going with this? Jesus did not raise from the, rise from the dead for Crossroads Church. He did not rise from the dead for the Pearson family. He rose from the dead for Kurt. He rose from the dead for John. Yes, Maluli. I was looking at Jefferson and I heard Maluli. I said, that's not Maluli. Maluli's over there, but... The resurrection of Jesus Christ is personal. And there is a danger that we, we see it as, as a holiday, we see it as a religious moment that maybe we've been taught as we grow up in church. We, we see it rightfully so as a part of God's eternal commitment, His love for this planet. That's great, but it has to go beyond that. It has to be embraced. In fact, it will be embraced or it will be rejected personally. Each of us. Every one of us will have to decide, is this a, is this a good story? Is this a, a great excuse for having food and eggs and eating way too much sugar and chocolate? Is this, you know, oh, this is about, the, it's about a bunny. It's about a holiday. It's a religious holiday. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it's anything at all, it's personal. It's about Almighty God saying, I'm going to set you free from sin and death. And it's going to cost the death of my son. He's willing to do it, and he'll be treated that way. He'll be buried, but he will conquer death. He will rise from the dead three days later. Why? For you and for me and for anyone who will embrace that. This morning, I want us to look at a character. And if you have a Bible or if you have your phone and your Bible's on there, I'm going to send you to John chapter 20. And as you're going there, I'm going to read from Psalm 139. And we'll get to John 20 in just a second, because I want us to look at a, a, a person who is, who is intimately interwoven with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But first, in Psalm 139, we read this. The, the author of this psalm, David, says, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You understand what I'm thinking before I think it. How helpful would that be if husbands, I'll just say it that way, if we had that ability... <laughs> Don't say that. I know what I'm going to think in a minute, and it's not going to go well, so just don't. Okay. The husbands are all laughing, the wives are punching. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels everywhere I go. You observe my rest when I lie down. You're aware of all my ways. Verse 13, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. 
what is this, this, this human author of Psalms saying through the Holy Spirit? He's saying God is an intimate God. He's not a far distant being that started this all and then just kind of stepped away and just kind of see how it ends up. He, he's, not a, he's not a vengeful God. He's not an angry God. He's an intimate creator. He's intimately aware of you and me. When Jesus died on the cross, Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Do we know what that means? The joy that was set before him, do you know what that was? The joy that, that moved him as he went through that experience? It was you, and it was me. His death and his resurrection are personal, they're intimate. It's for you. He's an intimate God. And the psalmist says, you know everything about me. You knew me as I was forming in the womb. You know all the days of my life. In fact, in that psalm, it says, you know every hair that's on my head. For some of us, it's getting easier, right, for God to, to know that. He's so intimately involved with us, with this creation, this planet. I think the events of 2,000 years ago, I'm, I'm convinced the events of 2,000 years ago were very personal for those who had chosen to follow Jesus Christ. The Gospels tell of his ministry and people choosing to follow him. And it was that Friday afternoon leading to Passover that Jesus was arrested the night before. He was arrested. He was tried. He was wrongfully convicted. There were so many problems, illegal issues with his trial, and they pushed it through. They found people to give false testimony to, to conclude that he was guilty. They flogged him. They mocked him, they spit on him, they made fun of him, and then they took him outside of the, the city of Jerusalem on an area lifted up where the Romans were known to execute their judgments, and they crucified him. You think that was personal for the disciples? Judas, Judas betrayed him, right? He went out and did what he did. Peter denied him, and Peter's in hiding somewhere, weeping. The rest of them are where they're running because they're filled with fear. And what is happening? It's only John and a few women that are there at the crucifixion. The rest are running. What does this mean? What is happening? What's going on? And that Friday afternoon was very dark, and it was very personal. But today's not Friday, is it? What's today? Today's Sunday morning. And Sunday morning, where we read in John chapter 20, Sunday morning, verse 1, on the first day of the week, a lady named Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Now, you know who you are. For some of us, that's just wrong. So you're laughing because you know who you are. You know, really? I, I told the other service, I, I like getting up early, and I like the quiet. I like having a cup of coffee. I have a little balcony on my, off of our bedroom where I sit out there when the weather allows, and I have a big hairy dog that comes and lays down next to me and just stares at me and adores me. And so I have this, I like the quiet. I, I just don't want to be with you early in the morning. I don't want to be, I don't even want to be around Becky sometimes, just give her her space and I'll. So there's something wrong about this, but there's, there's a reason why. We'll see as this unfolds. She comes early in the morning. It's still dark. The sun hasn't even come up. And when she gets there, if you're going along in John chapter 20, she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. See, when, when Jesus was buried, Joseph of Arimathea takes the body, he asks for permission, he gets it, he buries Jesus' body in his tomb, and 
the religious leader said, hold on, hold on. This guy claimed that he was going to rise from the dead and his disciples are going to try to steal his body and say, look, he rose from the dead. So Pilate, you need to post guards. You need to seal it. Put the Roman seal on it. Post guards, don't let anybody mess with that. And so they did. So Mary and those who were with her came early in the morning expecting it to be sealed, expecting there to be guards. In fact, they probably had talked. In fact, the Gospels tell us that, that they talked about, how are we going to move this big stone? Because it's just a group of ladies, a small group of ladies that were coming early in the morning. When she gets there, the stone has been removed from the tomb. It's open. But she doesn't go in. She just sees this open tomb. And there's other ladies with her, but she runs back. She runs to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which we know is the Apostle John. And she says to them, they've taken the Lord. They've taken his body. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put her. Put him. Do you, do you sense her a little bit of panic? What in the world is going on? Now, remember... She's just experienced Friday afternoon, and then all day Saturday, the, 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 the Sabbath, the Passover, and they're, they're celebrating this as, as a Jewish people, and she's experiencing that, and I'm sure her mind is filled with what happened on Friday afternoon, and she goes to bed Saturday night, and she gets up early Sunday morning, pre-arranged with these other ladies, and we're going to go to the tomb, we're going to get there before the sun gets up, we're going to have to get it open, and then what are they going to do? Why is this so important? You, we see this in Mark chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Saturday night, sunset, the next morning, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they could go and anoint his body. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise. I, I, want, us to, I want to help us try to capture the intimacy, how personal this is. In their culture, the way they honored people is they would take the body and they would wrap it with linen, and in between the layers of linen, material like this shirt, they would put spices, all kinds of spices. Well, I was in an attempt to get it, but it's... Come on, come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt myself. Don't do it. It's for Katie, so... The cultural practice was to honor the, the person who had died by wrapping their body in 60, 70, 80 pounds of spices to preserve the body for a certain amount of time because of what, without refrigeration and so forth, what would happen. I, I had two funerals this last week, a Monday and Friday, and it was interesting on both those funerals. Both gentlemen had served in the military. One was Air Force and one was Army. And they did military honors. Have you seen military honors? Where the two service people come in from whatever branch. One stays in the back. They play taps. The other one comes up front, instructs everybody to stand up. If you have served previously or, or currently, you do this. If you're not military, you do this. And you stand and they play taps. And then they come and they unfold the flag. And it's very methodical, it's very quiet, it's very somber. They unfold the flag, they fold the flag back up, and they're very meticulous in how they put it all back together, and then they go over to the spouse, the wife in both of these cases, and they present the flag to the wife, and they salute the wife, the flag. First they kneel down, though, or they bend over, and they say very quietly, 
On behalf of the President of the United States and on behalf of a grateful country, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your husband's service. What are we doing? We're honoring, right? We're honoring that person. We're honoring that person's service. And this is, this is the motive of Mary's heart and these other ladies. They're coming early in the morning. They prearranged this. They texted each other. They made sure that they all at the same time. Nobody laughed. How many people think they had texting back in the first century? You do? Okay. We'll talk afterwards. I got some property. I want to make you a great deal on this property. Beachfront property. They arrange to come together and they get there early in the morning because their hearts are to honor Jesus. You see, he's died. They watched him die. And they, they saw him buried. And now they come on Sunday morning to honor him. There's a, there's a love and appreciation and honor that they want to attribute to Jesus. So Mary Magdalene runs. She tells Peter and John, and they come. And we know from the other Gospels that they look inside. They, they find the empty tomb, and they see the, 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 the material laid up, folded where his head and where his feet should have been. And then they run back. John chapter 20, verse 10. Those disciples, they go home. They go back to the other disciples. They're, I'm not supposed to walk. I'm sorry. I get chastised if I walk. They go home to the other disciples and they begin to interact with them and talk about what they've seen. But look at, at verse 10 of John 20. Mary stands outside facing the tomb crying. Can you picture that in your minds? They come, she runs and gets them. They come and they look inside. She doesn't seem to have gone inside. She's just standing outside looking at this open, empty tomb. They confirm that it's empty and she's just standing there crying. And as she's crying, she finally decides, I'm going to look inside. And so the Gospel of John says she stoops down, she looks in the tomb, and when she looks in the tomb, she sees two angels, two angels who are dressed in white. They are white, and they're sitting there, one at the head, one at the feet, where Jesus' body had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you crying? Why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord. I came early this morning in the... In the, in the and the tomb was open, and she made the assumption that he was gone and went and told the disciples. They came, they find it, it's empty, and now she's standing there just processing this. The last interaction she had with Jesus was him on the cross being crucified. And she says, they've taken him, they've taken his body, and I don't know where they've put them, put him. Now pause with me just for a minute. I want us to do a little background. I got to do this this last couple of weeks. Who is this Mary Magdalene? You know the name, right? It's a somewhat familiar name. But I was, uh, just my own journey with this was, man, she's a whole lot more prominent in this story than we typically give her credit for. I mean, Jesus is the central figure, but we talk about the guards, we talk about the angels, we talk about Peter and John racing and who wins and looking inside and all. Who is this Mary Magdalene? Well, in Mark 16, verse 9, we read this. Early on the first day of the week after he had risen, Mark is recording the resurrection, Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Don't forget that. The very first human being that got to experience the resurrected Jesus Christ is who? Mary Magdalene. Not Peter, not John, not Mary. Mary Magdalene, out of whom Jesus had driven seven demons. Now, I know in, in the West we have an idea of demonic possession based primarily on Hollywood movies and things like that. 
But if you'll take the time to read through the Gospels, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John gives, and Acts, gives us a very real, very clear picture of demonic possession. Who are demons? Demons are angels, fallen angels we call them sometimes, angels that chose to follow Satan when that great war happened. And they chose that side. And what we refer to as angels are those who remain true to their Creator, to God, to Jesus. And they do His bidding. The demons do the bidding of Satan, who himself was also an angel, right? A special angel, Lucifer. So these demons are angels. They have the capacity that God gave to angels, and they follow Satan. And they love, at his bidding, to move into someone's inner being. They're, they're spirit, spiritual creatures. They don't have a physical body like we do. They like to come in to then influence that person. Every single account in the Gospels in the book of Acts, it is always a bad thing when a demon possesses somebody. Right? It's never a woohoo, this today's the day. No, it's not. It's horrific. They consume that person, they take that person over, they manipulate that person to do terrible things, to hurt other people. Every time it's a bad thing, and it only takes one. There's a few occasions where multiple demons, and Mary Magdalene is one of them, and I want you to, to see in your mind, this is her backstory. This is Mary Magdalene's life before Jesus. She was possessed with seven demons. We don't know how she got there, choices she made, choices other people made, but she was receptive, open to that. It happened. And when she encountered Jesus, she is this woman who is possessed by seven demons. And Jesus sets her free. See, God is, the work of God is always personal. There's certainly revivals. There's shifts in culture. But from day one to, to the end, God's work, God's move is always personal. He's a relational, intimate God. And he steps across the path of this woman, Mary Magdalene, and he changes her life. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, Jesus is traveling from town and village, from one town and village to another. He's beginning his ministry in Galilee, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve are with him, the twelve disciples we're pretty familiar with, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. There was a group of women that had encountered this amazing power of God through Jesus Christ. And just like the, the, the guys, the other disciples, they, they left everything and they followed him. And Mary Magdalene is one of these ladies that had been transformed by Jesus. And Luke 8, 2 says, Mary Magdalene's one of them. So from early on in his ministry, this woman had been following him, being a part of what he was doing. Matthew 27, verse 55, many women had followed Jesus from Galilee and ministered to him there. Among them were Mary Magdalene. You know, we saw this today. I don't know if you noticed, but when, I hope you did, when you went through to get food, did you notice? I think I, think I saw Pastor Jeff in there for a few moments, but primarily who was behind that table serving you? Yeah, yeah. And the setup and the preps and we have a bunch of Mary Magdalene's in this, in this body, this family. They just serve. They see needs and they meet needs. We have some men too, but there's something about the female gender. You guys, have, you get this. I have to be reminded. I have to be told. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, we got people coming over. Oh, great. Becky goes, no, it's not great. 
the bathroom's not clean. We got to make sure we got, I go, you know, I go in there, flush it. That's good. It's clean. <laughs> Come on, who's with me? That's the, right? Okay, two, at least two of us. But she's like, no, no, how do we, we got to prepare. We want to make sure that people's needs are met. They feel welcome. Mary Magdalene is one of these women that as Jesus is doing what we have recorded in the Gospels, she's right there in the thick of it. How can I serve him? How, you know what? He hasn't eaten today. Let's make sure he has some food. When was the last time he slept? I don't know. Do you get the picture? She's a part of this team that says, we're just going to love him. We're going to serve him. He changed my life, and I'm going to follow him, and I want to minister to him. John chapter 19, verse 25, standing by the cross, Jesus says he is nailed there to that cross where his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and guess who? Who do you think? If you've been paying attention, Mary Magdalene. She's part of this very small group. Judas, Peter, the rest of his disciples, they're running for their lives, scared to death. John's there. And then these four women. And one of them is Mary Magdalene. Does that mean anything? I think it does. She watched her savior, her, her rabbi, her teacher, her friend, the one who transformed her life. She watched him die. It's interesting to me in Mark 15, verse 46, when Joseph of Arimathea asked for permission to take, take down uh, Jesus' body, and he, and he gets permission, he takes Jesus' body and he places him in a tomb cut out of the rock and rolls the stone against the entrance to the tomb. Now, we're told, Mark tells us, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, were watching where he was placed. Now, before this morning, you might have watched that and thought, what's that all about? But now you know, don't you? Because it's Friday, but what's coming? Sunday morning is coming. And Mary Magdalene is already making plans. Where is she going to be before the sun comes up Sunday morning? Where is she going to be? at the tomb to honor Jesus. And she's there with Mary, the other Mary, and said, okay, ladies, that's where they texted. That's where they went on their calendars and said, okay, what are you doing Sunday morning? What time? I don't know, crack, before the crack of dawn. Okay, I, we're going to be, yes, we're going to be there. We're going to honor him. We're going to wrap his body. We're going to take his body that we watched crucified and flogged and mistreated, and we're going to show respect, and we're going to honor him, and we're going to wrap it in the spices. She was there watching where he was buried. Come back with me to John chapter 20. She peeks in the tomb. She sees these two angels. They say, why are you crying? And she says, well, they've taken him, and we don't, I don't know where they've taken him, and I, I just want to honor him. Can you please tell me where they've taken him? John chapter 20, verse 14, after she says this, she turns around to leave the tomb, and she sees Jesus standing there. Now, she doesn't recognize him. She sees Jesus standing there, though she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus says to her, he says, woman. Again, I, I, I talked about this in the first service. There's got to be some theological ramifications from this. I don't know what it is. He doesn't call her, or he calls her woman. We'll see in a minute. He changes. But she turns around. She's coming out of the tomb, and he's standing there, and he says, woman. And what does he ask her? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? What is it with, with men, us and, and, and women crying? What is it with it? Like, why are, you, why are you upset? Why are you crying? You, anybody else? I've, done, I've been in that. Okay, thank you. I've been in that moment more than once, and as soon as it comes out of my mouth, 
but the angels and now Jesus, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Mary, believing that he was the gardener, she replied, Sir, if it's you, if you're the one that's removed him, if you've taken his body, tell me where you've put him, and I will take him away. I'll take care of him. If it's you, you've taken the body, please tell me. I'll take care of him. And Jesus looks at her, and he says, Mary. He says, Mary. God is a personal God. The resurrection is personal. It's not about groups of people. It's about you and me. It's about individuals. This woman, Mary, in this story, the journey that she had taken, he looks her in the face and he calls her by name. He says, Mary. When he says this, she turns around and she says to Jesus in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. What does that mean? What she's saying is she's saying, we would say it this way today probably, it's you. It's you, my, my rabbi, my teacher, the one that I've been following, the one that I, that I thought was the Messiah, but then I saw you die. This is impossible, but yet there you are. It's you. I think he smiled. I can't prove this. I just think he got a big grin on his face that he, you know, Mary, yes, it's me. As she just began to process what this means because you died you were buried i watched them put your body in the tomb and i came this morning and it wasn't there and i was convinced until right now that somebody had taken it and was messing with it and there you are you are alive i saw you die i saw you how and i think he just he just kept smiling oh mary man what a journey we've taken remember Remember when we met? Remember your life? Remember what happened in that encounter? Remember these, these last almost three years that we've been serving together and you've, you've witnessed all these miracles. You've heard my teaching, my claims. I told you this was happening. I told you this was going to happen. I told you multiple times. You get it? Yes, Jesus, I get it. I think it was this, that was the high point of her life, the sweetest moment of her life to hear Jesus, the risen Jesus, speak her name. Because not only does she recognize that it's him, she recognizes that he knows her. He died on that cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead for that woman. Just like he did for every other man and woman who will embrace him as rabbi, as teacher, as Lord, as Savior. It's you. You see, Paul said it in Romans 10. He said, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that He is the Messiah, He's God, and that you believe in your heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, you're saved. You're set free. You benefit. You receive the benefit of Jesus conquering death. But do you see there that it's critical that we see Him, personally see Him as resurrected from the dead? That's why today's a big deal. If today is not true, then we got, a, we got a great teacher that wrote a lot of amazing stuff, and boy, we better pay attention to it to help get along with each other and make this a better world. But it's on us. But because he rose from the dead, I have life. And all those things are still true, but I no longer am trying to make this a better world in my own strength or our own ability. It's in the power of God who can actually conquer death. 
Don't miss it. It's personal. Mary Magdalene went. She goes back to the disciples. She says, I've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. She gets to announce the empty tomb. She also gets to announce he's alive. Guys, I'm telling you, guys, stop arguing. Peter, John, shh, stop for a second. What are, you, what, what are you saying? He's alive. I saw him. He talked to me. And one more thing. He said my name. He knows me by name. He said my name. If you have a bulletin, I want to invite our team to come up, our worship team to come, and we're going to respond this morning. And as they come, would you just look at your bulletin with me for a minute? Here's how we can make this personal. There's some questions there that we each individually have to grapple with. Where is God in all of this that's happening in our world today? Pick any moment you want, anywhere around the globe, in your family, in our state, in our city, in our world, in our country. Where is God in all, in all of this? Does He care? Are we on our own? Number two, what's my purpose? What about me? I'm one of almost eight billion. Do I have any significance? Does it matter that I'm up here breathing? I'm up here blabbing and you guys are sitting here? This moment, does it have any significance? Does my life have purpose? Why am I here? Number three, how can I know that God loves me? I pray that you will reflect on Mary Magdalene and you can answer that question. I know he loves me because he died on the cross for me. He was buried and he rose from the dead for me. And finally, what does tomorrow look like? Well, that really depends on how we answer these questions, doesn't it? If you'd asked Mary that on Friday, you would got an answer, right? But if you'd asked her on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, you would have got a different answer. Would you agree? Would you agree? It changes everything. He is not here. Luke 24, <coughs> excuse me. Luke records the two angels in the tomb also said this. He's not here to Mary Magdalene, but he's been resurrected. Remember how he spoke to you? Do you remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, when you first encountered him and he transformed your life and he began to do ministry? Do you remember what he said to you? He said, the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. You think Mary in that moment? Oh, yes. Yes. Because it's personal. The resurrection is personal. As I just close and we're going to respond this morning I want to encourage you to listen you've had to put up with my voice I get that and I apologize but that's not the important voice this morning the important voice is his how do you know God's speaking to you one of the, the ways that you will know is because he will know you he will know your name he will know you as he speaks to you and says this is who you are this is where you're at this is what you've been thinking. This is what you've been fearing. This is what you've been worried about. This is the, the questions that you have. Who can know that? Him. And as in your, spirit, in your spirit, in your inner person, as you begin to hear from God, He's going to reveal what only God can reveal. He's going to affirm what you already know because He knows you and He knows me. And as you've heard His word this morning and as we sing these songs and these truths that we sing about, it's the Holy Spirit's voice that you need to hear. And know this, He loves you. The resurrection is the most amazing event in human history, but if anything, it's personal. He knows your name, and He died for you, and He rose from the dead for you. So listen. 
Listen to his voice. 